This Magic the Gathering podcast and many more can be heard online at manadeprived.com slash podcasts. Leave a comment and tell us what you think. internet this is the ancestral recall podcast i'm michael j flores i am roman fusco and thanks again for joining us yeah thanks for stopping in michael j i'm stressed where are you stressed man i shoot my student short film in less than 48 hours i don't know if you knew this but here pre san antonio is the same time as your quote student short film end quote what if someone was like roman you know, I don't know, own Turtonwald and, and read Duke Need a Third, like Huey's busy that weekend. <laughs> but they're, 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 ta- they're reaching out to me. They're like, Roman Fusco. <laughs> He's our only hope? Yeah, it, you're forced to play with Reed Duke and Owen Turtonwald. And further, you're forced to play Burn. Like, you know, Reed will be like, all right, he'll, he'll be on Jund, and Owen will be on, I don't know, White Black Control or something. He's, he's got it all figured out. They've got their angles got covered. They're like, Roman? We need the 17th best burn player in the state of New York. <laughs> We're coming after you. You you would quote student short film and quote it up this weekend? Well. Owen Turtenwald and Reed Duke are the people coming to you. Sadly, I cannot abandon my, my own little baby, my, my short film. So oh. Sorry, like, Owen. Sorry, like Reed. Sounds like you've got your priorities all, <laughs> all discombobulated. Right. So. This is the Ancestral Recall podcast. Every week, Roman and I revisit some articles from the Magic Canon. And so far, they've all been articles that I have written. Some of them from like the late 90s. Like we had one from 2013. Yeah, so just all over the place. The last couple of weeks, we've referenced another writer, though, by the name of Chad Ellis. Yeah. Last week, I think we talked about from his Negotiate with Chad blog, that great story about Teddy Roosevelt and the Oh, yeah. And we the talked flyers. about yeah, and the Flyers. So uh, if you haven't heard that, you should check out the previous episode. It's the episode called um, Asking Better Questions. Asking Better Questions. So one of the, I, I called up Chad. By called up, I mean I Facebook messaged him uh-huh. and told him, you know, we've been doing this project. I don't think Chad's played a lot of Magic in, in a while. Last, he, like, 15 years, maybe, or 10 years. He, he was a, an avid PTQ player in the Northeast. We played in a lot of same amount of tournaments. Mm. He, he has a Pro Tour Top 8, though, so I want to yeah. say Barcelona. Limited Pro Tour Top 8. Great guy. He went to Harvard. And has had an interesting career. But anyway, he's written a bunch of stuff that has been on Star City Games. Uh, this is an article from 1999, I believe, from the Magic Dojo, which is a website that I was the editor of at the time. Yeah. And uh, he wrote for the mothership for a while. Um, but this is his most famous article. Uh, according to the archive on Star City Games, this article is from January 1st, 1999, but I don't think that's probably really true. Uh, I don't think I worked that day. So, <laughs> so um, it's The Danger of Cool Things by Chad Ellis. So. Let's this dive is, in. This is not a Michael J. article, but it is. It's it's readable nonetheless. 
Maybe it's better than a Michael J. article. You can you can say at the end after we go through it if you think it is, and you know, hopefully our burgeoning readership will will chime in. All right, let's so, let's check it out. The danger of cool things. Dot 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 dot. Four periods in that ellipses. One of the most fun things in magic is doing something cool. I will never forget the duel I lost when my opponent, who was dead next turn, took back his flickering ward, recast it on his only creature naming black, cast Evancar's Justice, took it back again, recast it on the same creature naming red, and sent it in past my only surviving blocker, a lowland giant, for just enough damage to kill me. Nor will I forget the duel I won when I, who was dead next turn, sent my shadow guy to the air and interdicted my opponent's spike feeder so he couldn't gain life. I suspect that the joy of cool things is a big part of what makes combo players so loyal to their approach. How can casting creatures, countering spells, and disenchanting discs compare to generating infinite mana, shooting someone with a Mog Fanatic 237 times, Attacking with a 1 million, 1 million Mishra's Factory, or putting someone in a hard lock. Even bad combo decks like Replace or Shrieking Drake and Truder Alarm, Nature's Revolt, are hard to let go of. I don't want to talk about bad combo decks, though. I want to talk about the tendency Magic players have to lose games or make blunders because they are fixated by the prospect of doing something cool. But Magic is so cool. There's so many different cards and crazy things you can do why would i ever get distracted why would i ever make the make wrong plays because of that? <laughs> when i was practicing with john finkel a lot in 1990 no i'm sorry in 2000 mm-hmm. i think i uh i watched this match and and stuvo schwartz who is also a hall of famer pro tour champion he was one of the small circle of players we were playing together with made this amazing sequence of plays to beat Dave Humphreys at U.S. Nationals mm-hmm. that year. I was just dazzled by it. I actually wrote an article. I think it was like the number one best played ever. And John said, Mike, keep playing with us. That's the only play you're going to see. So John's thesis is that if you're super good at magic, you only see the best play. Mm-hmm. Well, some version of that, that that's probably simple. Mm-hmm. Why would you ever? That's why people make mistakes, because they, they find these things that are cool instead of the things that are most likely to work. Mm. But Chad addresses a lot of these ideas. Let's continue. Let me start with an example from the quarterfinals of the PTQ where I qualified for New York. Humble brags on that. <laughs> I'm playing game one against Mo Gilmore's slide deck. I'm at one life, and Mo is at 18 when I draw Yawgmoth's will. Suddenly, I have a chance. I can Dark Ritual, Will, Ritual, him to Torok, Duress. I have an active Curse Scroll and two racks on the table. With an empty hand and no creatures on the table, Mo will only have a few turns with which to draw Burn Spell or Mog Fanatic before the scroll and racks kill him. I start this off thinking Mo has three cards. But when I check, I see he has only two. Suddenly, I start to get clever. I decide not to waste the duress since there is a small but non-zero chance that Mo will draw a non-burn, non-creature spell, Goblin Grenade or Fork. And I might also draw another will, in which case the duress would be helpful. It is also conceivable 
but I will get a chance to use Spinning Darkness and might need the duress in my graveyard. Quick quiz. What happens when you are at one life and end your turn with Dark Ritual? Him, you go. This doesn't happen anymore, actually. <laughs> Modern readers will not be able to answer this question. Yeah. But what happens? I burn to death. <laughs> it turns out not to have mattered since Moe's next draw was Fanatic. But I was so happy about how clever I was being, I completely forgot when I originally planned the will, I knew I needed to cast both spells to avoid mana burn. Hmm. Quick, quick note, what's mana burn again? So I mana burn is if, if you ended a phase with mana in your pool, you took that much damage. Yeah. So let's say for sake of argument, for whatever reason, you had RR in your mana pool and cast lightning bolt, you would take one yourself. Yeah. So what happened here was he was had that kind of tunnel vision and ended up killing himself. Yeah. He was that one. Now let's jump to Jamie Wakefield's most recent dojo article, Super Lucky Guy, which describes a recent PTQ effort with Secret Force. Quoth King of the Fatties. John blocks with a fanatic and shoots me. I natural order a Triceratops, which isn't a card, but a 1-1 sapling token. Jamie was famous for using dinosaur tokens in play. And go get another Verdant Force. Not very smart. Because he might top deck a Wrath of God. And I realize this as soon as I do it. Wake up and play smart, Wakefield. Jamie got caught up with the fun he was having shooting out dinosaurs and put himself in a position where he could have lost both his verdant forces to one Wrath of God. Since one verdant was plenty to win the game, and since if he held on to his natural order, he could have met Wrath with a creature slash order for a second verdant, this was clearly a bad play, as Jamie recognized. So let's talk about some of these cards for a second. Natural Order is actually still a commonly played card in Legacy. Yep, no. it, yeah, it costs GG2. It allows you to sacrifice a creature and then go put a creature directly into play. Today, mm-hmm. we typically have these creatures that maybe, you know, a Crater Hoof Behemoth, which would give like 100 different elves uh, an overrun like boost and everybody attacks yep. for the kill. But back then, the best creature you could get was Verdant Force, Force, which is a 7-7 creature that made a 1-1 Sapperling every yeah. turn. So it was cool because if the Verdant Force didn't die immediately, the Sapperling would appear, and then it would protect the Verdant Force from dying. You had a edict. natural order. Right? No, oh, for edict. edict, yeah. yeah so, but you'd have the, um, the token to yeah. natural order for, a, for another, another thing if you had to. Yeah, like it's, um, it was atypical to be able to beat a 7-7 creature with something other than a diabolic edict, at least in some colors. Like it's too big to kill with, yeah. with most like burn spells, for example. Sure. Now, let me suggest a second example where Jamie's judgment was thrown off by his focus on doing something cool. Again, quoting Jamie, I untap, draw natural order. I have no creatures in play, land in hand, and a scroll on the board. I play my third land. Hmm, that's no good. I can scroll you, but if I do that, you'll know I have a natural order in my hand. And you have to get rid of it right now. About the only way that I can win this, I am thinking, is if I draw a wall of blossoms, draw a land off the wall of blossoms, play it, and next turn, sack the wall, go get the best fatty ever printed, that's Verdant Force, mm-hmm. and beep, wreck you, super lucky guy. I'm thinking these exact thoughts as my opponent scrolls me with a demonic consultation, untaps, and attacks with his steel golem. No beep! I top deck a wall of blossoms, play it, and get a land. I'm lying. I'm dying. This actually happens. Next turn, I'm going to untap natural order and well win. 
My opponent scrolls me with the one card in his hand. The demonic consult untaps and draws. Super lucky boy. <laughs> Diabolic edict to the wall. Can you see what Jamie is missing here? He is so focused on the order force combo. He thinks his opponent is lucky for top decking a Diabolic Edict. The same opponent who is scrolling him with a... Demonic Consultation. Let's assume that he drew some other random card instead. Jamie untaps natural orders and well... Loses. So this is what we kind of talked about in your last article, or in the last episode, where you had that situation where your opponent had a... The Caracas Vendillion click. Yeah. Knew that he could... Injustice, yeah. Yeah, Injustice. Or, sorry, the episode before. And, and knew that he could snap it back to his hand and click you, right? Well, yeah, so it's not about being lucky that he drew a Diabolic Edict. He had Demonic... Demonic Consultation is a card that costs B for an instant. Yeah. Name a card and basically put the card in your hand if it's in your deck. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it was it's one of the most absurdly powerful search cards ever printed. People didn't like it because you had to turn over the top six cards of your library. So, like, let's say for sake of argument, you named Diabolic Edict, and there were four Diabolic Edicts in your top six cards, you'd deck yourself. Right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was atypical, right? During your discard phase, I'll cast Demonic Consultation naming Diabolic Edict. It's as simple as that. Unless for some reason he can't consult for one, Jamie's whole plan involved throwing away his one real chance at winning, drawing a second creature so his force would have Edict protection. Even if, for some reason... He already tapped out, say, to scroll Jamie out of spite before Jamie cast Natural Order. He could untap, consult during upkeep, edict during upkeep. As active player, he gets to do whatever he wants before activating the Verdant Force. Right, so Verdant Force is going to make a sapling on the stack. He can kill it before that happens. Yes. I love Jamie's posts and his decks and his determination to win with baddies. I look forward to the day when he starts playing pure control decks and realizes that at heart, he's a control player and doesn't need big monsters to make him happy. Just durable threats. But I suspect that on some level, even his decision to play Seeker Force is affected by the, quote, cool things problem. <laughs> he really wants a natural order for a Verdant Force and put plastic dinosaur tokens on the table while the spectators laugh, and even his opponent can't help grinning at the unlikely beatdown. So it's, it's funny, just a historical thing. Jamie Wakefield was the first person to play with with natural order to get a fatty in, in a big way. Yeah. Um, nobody, it, people, it's, it's common thing people, people do in Legacy. People have made top eight of Pro Tours doing this at this point, playing basically Jamie's deck. Yeah. But he was the first person to do it. And people didn't like it because it wasn't card advantage, right? So you're using a, a creature and a natural order to get another creature. But if somebody has like a terror or a sorts of pleasure or something, they could kill your creature. Mm-hmm. And so people didn't like it because it was... It was loss of card advantage, not really thinking about the fact that you'd have such a big threat that if they didn't have a direct answer, you would just kill them in like two or three attacks. It's like Aetherworks Marvel. <laughs> it was similar to Aetherworks Marvel. Yeah, so that was one thing. And then after this article that Chad wrote, Jamie actually went on to win a PTQ with C- Secret Force. Really? Like a week later oh after he God, wrote that's this. great. Which is with great. With the dinosaur token dinosaur- <laughs> Yeah, I think the name of the article is like, it's all about the dinosaurs or oh, something. But he went on to, to like a week later. So... He was like, ah, whatever. Screw this article. I'm just going <laughs> to keep playing my fatties. Yeah, so similarly, Jamie's analysis of his matchup versus Pox points out how good his spells are against Pox and then says how tough him is and how lucky some of his opponents got. I won't dispute that he's got a good matchup or that his opponents got lucky, but he doesn't seem objective. But then, 
Think about this. Everything in my deck is good against Pox. Verdant Force, built-in Pox, and Edict Protection. Maybe, but the only way you can really get this out is with Natural Order. And, as noted above, that means you need to have two creatures in play in order to reach Edict Protection. Wall of Blossoms, block Steel Golem without cat with, uh, costing me a card in hand, so the rack doesn't do more damage to me. Definitely a good card. I sometimes boarded out my golems against decks using Wall of Blossoms. However, either Scroll or Funeral Charm lets the golem punch through. Acridians. Block Steel Golem. What's Acridian? Acridian, you just shouldn't play it. I shouldn't play it? Don't play it. It's it's 1G for a 2-4 creature. Okay, not bad. It has Echo. Oh. (laughs) Not as good as I thought. I mean, if you're comparing it to Wall of Blossoms, it costs the same as Wall of Blossoms, but you don't get to draw a card. But by the same, I mean it costs twice as much. <laughs> See Wall of Blossoms. Remember, the main point of the Golem is to stop you from beating down on me while I rip up your hand and scroll you. You want to spend two mana on turns two and three for a guy who can't beat up my Golem. That's okay. Natural order. Go and get more life. A monkey or the super fatty. Order costs four. Dress costs one. Him costs two. Consult and him costs three. This is not a reliable card against Pox. Elves. Provide mana for the light LD element of Pox. Sure. They're okay, but charms and scrolls and half of my sideboard kills them. Scrolls. Good when they kill your whole hand. No argument there. Pox doesn't like people with scrolls. Creeping mold. Like I need to explain this. Actually, yeah, you do. Hymns. Pox and Elfkill makes forecasting cost spells hard to get off. And a forecasting cost one for one on artifacts that can be recast by Yawgmoth's will is hardly a powerhouse against Pox. Creep my rack? Ritual will, ritual him, rack. We're back where we started, except we both have fewer cards in hand. Secret Force's sideboard also has some good cards against Pox, but are three charms and two life forces really better than the dystopia? edicts, parish, etc. that Pox is likely to bring in. Engineered Plague, your elves. Secret Force has to top deck its hosers. Pox can top deck a hoser or a consult and get the hoser it most wants. Turn 2 Life Force is a beating, but half the time, I will have turn 1 duress for it, and if I don't, I may meet it with dystopia on my next turn when you don't have GG untapped. I don't want to beat on Jane. Like I said, I love the guy although perhaps not as much as he loves Rob or Michelle, I just want to make the point that sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the cool things our deck can do that we lose objectivity and forget what our opponent can do. Last example. A top eight match in the most recent Boston PTQ. My friend Terry is playing Rexur against a mono green deck without Curse Scroll or Desert Twister. Rexur is a survival of the In other words... No answer to recurred spike weavers or any number of other threats Terry has. It should be a buy. Terry is in complete control. He has Weaver on the table, a graveyard full of great stuff, and living death and recur in his hand. He can recur Weaver for Necrotal if he likes, or cast death or whatever. His opponent knows he's losing and basically says he's just going to try to drag it out. What happens? As I understand it, Terry gets focused on casting an amazing living death. A living death for the epics. He gets out his Kravik in horror and sacrifices his creatures, including both the birds of paradise that he needs to cast living death. Mm. Somewhat miraculously, he survives the next turn. 
With three land and a wall of roots in play, he's still very much in the game, as he can use Recur Weaver to buy time, and he's still got survival on the board to find other answers. However, still thinking about the lost opportunity to cast Living Death, he draws something that doesn't produce B and concedes. Few players are immune to the cool thing problem. We all love to come up with combos or brilliant plays, but from a competitive standpoint at least, we need to remember that what matters is winning the game. If living death is enough to win casted, you come up with a plan that wins and, the last minute, want to improve it, think for a moment about whether there were any reasons, like mana burn in my case, why the original plan might be better. If you are close to pulling off a win, think about whether your opponent might have a way to disrupt your win, like consulting for a diabolic edict. If you find one, whether you have a better chance of winning or a different path. Above all, take the time to check what you are doing. Make sure you aren't giving unnecessary chances to your opponent, and don't be fancy for its own sake. Hugs, chads of Mephistopheles, Team Diesel, Team Your Move Games. All right. That was a nice little article. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's like a good... It's, it's something that... It's a, I think it's like a, a skill that maybe not many people think about when playing a game of Magic. Or if they make mistakes when doing cool things, they might not realize it, right? Well, I, I just think... You know, or until it's too late. I was watching my camera match from Grandpa, New Jersey two yeah. weeks ago, and I was kind of beating myself up over this Gideon play. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast here where... We met, we touched upon it Yeah, where I, where I flipped over, you know, I'm holding three Ulamogs, but I, I luckily flip over uh, my, my last remaining from the, from your Marvel with my Marvel. My opponent's coming at me with a Gideon, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to block the Gideon, and then I, I kill two other permanents. You kill, like, a, a shambling vent and, like, his Chandra. Yeah, but so he just has an uh, an anguished unmaking and kills my Ulamog and gets in with his Gideon. You know, that was that's just cool, right? I'm thinking, well, I'll, I'll block his Gideon, we'll take any damage, and then I'll just kill Gideon on the crack back, thinking that I, especially if I have the Ulamog trigger, it doesn't matter if I deal any damage to him. But the more consistent play by far is to, is to just kill the Gideon, which is the, the card that's most likely to beat me, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. Especially because you had seen um, a first anguish in making earlier on in the game. That's right. So I, I kind of thought that, you know, that was the proximate thing that I quote-unquote did wrong. But earlier in the game, uh, my opponent was tapped down from casting a Chandra or Gideon or something. Mm-hmm. And I have a Marvel in play, and I play, um, I play Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot and gain some energy, passing the turn, so that he's coming at me with Gideon, and I go sacrifice Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, and, and in, in, response, in return to the energy, he kills my Marvel. Right? If I just, you know, if I just use the even if I did nothing else but just use Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot on my own turn, then I would have been able to activate the Marvel. Actually, maybe I didn't use it. Maybe I cast Glimmer of Genius to gain the energy. So there was something where yeah. you wouldn't have enough energy in response but, yeah, to, but to Marvel. Basically, I had Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot on my own turn. If I just sacrificed it immediately, I, I would have covered a base there. Yeah. You know? But instead, I was like, oh, well, I think a cooler play would be to maybe a more mana-optimized right. play. Yeah, yeah. Keep my options open to cast Glimmer of Genius. But I gave my opponent an opportunity to destroy my Marvel. Who knows what would have happened if I, if I hadn't given him that opportunity, like, 
Mayvirus would have flipped over uh, Noxious Gearhulk and just had a, a creature in play to swing back on his Gideon. Like, that That might have been good enough to win the game. Who For knows, sure. right? Or, you know, would have given me some damage protection against yeah. Elementals or something. Yeah. The play for me, I mean, I always kind of go back to this, was <laughs> the game I lost from, from regionals where I have, I played my second Eidolon yeah. in the face of his, in, in against um, uh, Abzan Collected Company. Um, my, th- that, like, tunnel vision I had was, okay, second Eidolon, how is he going to beat that? You can't really loot. Yeah, he can attack you with the creatures he already has Yeah, then he, yeah he, already has, or, he already has enough creatures in play. But you know, the just, cool play is like, oh, Eidolon, two triggers, that's insane. Like, he can't cast anything, but, oh, he's just going to kill me with it. neither can you. Yeah, neither can I, and so, I, I killed myself. <laughs> the thing about your play was, it was it would have been an easy play to play out of, right? You just have to chump block one of your Eidolons and you still win the game. But I did not do that. You said you took, like, a full, like, seven from an elemental. That and... Yeah, yeah, I, I, it was not not fun, but I think I shouldn't have played the. There, there, there are definitely times playing burn where I, I have regretted the second idol on, or I put myself in situations where, I can just lose the game on the spot by playing the second idol on and not having a way to get rid of it. You know, it's a symmetrical card, man. Yeah, I, I, that's like the thing, I, I need to. I, I, I see that I, I have the problem of seeing that card as this is so freaking cool. How can anyone beat this when I have multiple of them? But, but you know, magic is so rewarding when when. We can play it as a puzzle game, right? So yeah, and do cool things. When I was playing in in the RPTQ, I was playing against my very good friend Aaron Murnaka in the first round. Mm. Hey, you know, Aaron Murnaka is a, I think he was top eight of Pro Tour four, top four of Pro Tour four, and we've been friends. He was the first match I ever won on the Pro Tour, Pro Tour five back in '96, and we've been friends ever since. You know, it's been you know, decades. And so I went out to Utah to visit with him, and we ended up playing against each other first round in the RPTQ. Just thanks, right? Yeah. We were in the hotel together. I flew halfway across the country to play there. And Aaron gets a fast Emrakul against me. And I'm just, I have fetch lands in play. And I'm thinking, well, should I do? Right? So I let him get me without sacking the fetch lands. How many, how many lands do I even have in my deck that can tap for mana anymore? Mm-hmm. But then I identify the situation, which is that I'm also under Blood Moon. So my fetch lands now tap for red, mm-hmm. right? And then just like kind of figuring this out and like seeing the path that I don't even need lands that tap for mana to cast my... And I eventually won with Eidolons, which is... It was a really weird game, right? You don't, you don't typically win a game where your opponent locks you under Blood Moon, ultimates Nahiri, and hits you with an Emrakul, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Came back to win. Go, go, Lightning Helix. But, you know, just that, that was one of the most rewarding games I'd ever felt, you know? Because I, I was like, how do you, I don't have any lands in my deck that tap for mana anymore, you know? That, that's the, the gut reaction. And mm-hmm. then half my spells are white, you know? So, you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I get you. What about Chad's article? What did, what did you think and how applicable do you think that is today? I mean, I don't think players, I guess maybe I'm, I'm just talking more about standard here, are doing as as, cra- as many crazy things. Like, there's no more mana burn. We're, we're not, like, natural ordering in standard for fatties. But there's probably, like, little edges where people are making mistakes. Like, maybe it's like, oh, I have Gideon. I'm going to—or I, I have Heart of Kieran in play. I'm going to play Gideon. I'm going to minus my Gideon. Crew heart attack. But you put—if what was your opponent has an artifact and then a license integration, it gets your Gideon for exactly three. Like, that's something that could happen, right? Well, I was thinking, yeah, I think it was the last round at Grand Prix New Jersey. Remember I was playing against that red-white deck that had combustible gear hulk in it? Do you remember this match? Yes. So, 
I I won. Unsurprisingly, I won with my busted combo deck against kind of a ponderous deck that had sure. like I think in other contexts really good cards like Goblin Dark Dwellers, stuff like that. But mm. they're just the technology has just moved on from Fiery Temper and Goblin Dark Dwellers to a different place, right? And I'm playing cards like tap four mana, destroy all your permanents, right? Like that, you know, and having an indestructible guy. But I'm just in my, oh, man. For sure, she's not going to be able to interact with small creatures. She's put me on giant creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Combo. She's going to have her, like, anti-control or anti-slow cards or anti-combo suite in. So what did I do? I brought in, like, all my little things, like Tireless Tracker. Oh, uh, you, like, bore out your... your, your... Marvels in your yeah, yeah, just play an interactive it's game with, watch. with Glimmer of Genius and Torrential Gear Hulk, right? So basically played in such a way where her cards are actually like if you think about it, like is Torrential Gear Hulk a more powerful card than Goblin Dark Dwellers? Maybe, but Goblin Dark Dwellers is like pretty comparable and costs one less mana. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you got and, crushed. And like Torrential Gear Hulk can't even block Goblin Dark Dwellers. Right? Yeah. So it's just basically like, oh man. Certainly, she's not going to be able to beat Tireless Tracker. And, you know, I, I, I actually got exactly the draws I wanted in games two and three, and I got destroyed. I was like, what happened? I drew, like, six extra cards. Yeah, you, you just How like... did I lose? And you said to me at the end of the game, like, I don't think she could beat your game one configuration. What were you thinking? <laughs> right? I remember just looking. Like, I, I didn't want to, like, give anything away on my face, but when you boarded out, like, your Ulamogs and your Marvels, I just... I had to like walk away so from the frustrated table. Frustrated on a day of just <laughs> always having Ulamog in my hand, I was just like, "This is the last match, and I'm not losing to a combustible Gearhog deck." You know, that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking. But I'm like Michael J. Turn three puzzle not like yeah, you can't into, turn two puzzle not turn three. Use the puzzle not Marvel, Marvel is like unbeatable. Like, yeah, how do you lose? <laughs> you just can't even interact with it. I don't. Yeah, think can I don't think there was like any. I mean, try to destroy the puzzle not before turn three. She did have ways. Like she had a hearing in her deck, maybe declaration stone, like ways of killing your Ulamog. But still, it's yeah, but not really. Not really. Yeah, so, exactly. You're, you're, there, if 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 that's the line she's taking, there's still a Marvel in play, right? Exactly. So, but anyway. It's like, you know, what were you thinking? I was thinking it would be cool to win with Tireless Tracker by outsmarting my opponent under the assumption that she took out the cards that could kill a two-toughness, three-casting-cost creature, which, by the way, was not true. Her deck was, like, fiery temper, right? Like, even if she took out her quote-unquote creature removal, she could still kill, you know, she could still kill a small creature because she had cards that can go to face or creatures. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say lesson learned, but I'll probably play the Sultai Marvel deck at FNM this week, so maybe lesson not learned. Please, please, please don't. But no, I, I think that this is a good... I think when you're trying to get better at magic, this is like a good skill to have, kind of to, to identify maybe small mistakes you're making where you're kind of... Have, you have like the tunnel vision of, all oh, these cards are so cool. So I, I think I might have told you this one from an early week, the first match I ever played on the Pro Tour, I lost. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, th- I was playing as a red-green beatdown deck. And red-green was not a common strategy back then, believe mm-hmm. it or not. And I was playing a, a Necropotence deck. And I, I played... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Scratch it. We were both playing Necropotence decks. Okay. But I sided in the card Gorilla Tactics. Gorilla Tactics is R1 for uh, an instant that deals two. But if you're forced to discard it, it deals, deals four. Deals four. So, and he's a Spectre. Yeah, he yeah. plays a Spectre. And I'm like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if I got hit by the Spectre, discarded the Guerrilla Tactics, and killed the Spectre? And so he attacks me, 
it's not the gorilla tactic, so I just discard like probably my necropotence or something. And then I just have to kill the gorilla, the specter with the gorilla tactics. He's looking at me like, why wouldn't you have just killed the specter with the gorilla tactics for two damage? Then you wouldn't have had to discard. You'd still have a necropotence dummy, you know? So I lost because I did that. But I was just, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do yeah, the alternate yeah. text on gorilla tactics? Like, it seems so silly. And when, when you talk about it like this, you know, 20 years later or whatever, but at the time, oh, God, it would be cool. <laughs> it, really it, was a, it was like a novel thing, you know? Yeah. When was the last time you did that? Never. Gorilla text is a card we're going to play in Legacy. I think. When people Liliana and you discard it, Ooh. they don't use the Liliana again. <laughs> <laughs> they reconsider using Liliana. <laughs> All right. Well, danger of cool things. Something we can. Something we learned today. Definitely cool. I think. Definitely cool. So big hugs and and stuff to Chad Ellis. Yeah. Shout out to Chad. Awesome Pro-tour, article. Top eight competitor. Chad yeah. Ellis. You know, almost twenty years later, we're talking about his article. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe twenty years from now, people will talk about how great the Ancestor Recall podcast, starring Roman, Roman Fusco. Fusco. Maybe. And, and this guy, Michael J., but nah, probably, not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, but, you know, before you, you log out, um, if you want to subscribe to the Ancestral Recall podcast, KYT and the good folks at manadeprived.com have, have put a subscription availability up on iTunes. So, oh, really? So go to iTunes, look up the Ancestral Recall podcast. Uh, please subscribe so you don't miss our future episodes. We're striving to hit it every week. But probably uh, Carrie Dan and folks will, will have a subscription link on the page if you're just listening to it on the website. So, yeah. you know, otherwise, please subscribe. It will really make Roman happy. Thank me. <laughs> it I will. I'm just happy in general, but Roman will be happy. That, that's, uh, that's the best for <laughs> See ya. All right. Thanks for tuning in.